0: Please turn with me to Acts chapter 10 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. We will be looking at chapter 10 in its entirety today as it represents a complete story and there is a lot here and we could go on and on and preach for several weeks here, but we're going to do it in one. Um, And so before we open his word, and, and learn from it. Let's pray that you would help us with that. Let's go, to Lord, in prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, as we open up your word again, as we read from the book of Acts, and particularly as we study this portion of it, Lord, we pray that you would help us. We are about to dive into quite a bit of information here, and um, a very interesting story with the apostle peter and his goings-on with this family and just his coming around to the idea of presenting the gospel to the gentiles and so lord we pray that you would work on our own hearts as we see this that you would convict us of our sin that you would lead us to the truth that your name be praised and it's in jesus name we pray amen so this past week, my family and I went to Six Flags in St. Louis It's been a long time since I was there It's probably over 10 years Probably since the last time I like took a youth group there and went And we really enjoyed ourselves Amusement parks are very interesting places uh, There are lots of people there And every sort of people there it's one of the best places to people watch if you're into that, that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that you always see at amusement parks are the bright neon t-shirts. And they usually have some sort of like church name on them or school name on them in order to represent, well, this group is here and they all have neon pink on. All right, what's the reason? Well, so that they stick out. They're easily recognized. From the rest of the melting pot of people that are there. The bright chartreuse, for instance, stands out among the normal colors. If you have a stray kid, you're like, where's so-and-so? Uh, you just look and you find the yellow or the pink or whatever. It's pretty easy. Well, except for the fact that so many groups have those colors on. But anyway, as a former youth leader who took groups, the t-shirt thing is pretty helpful. What does this have to do with Acts 10? Well, the nation of Israel was also given ways for them, as a nation, to stand out among the other nations. When Moses brought them out of Egypt into the promised land in the book of Exodus, they had to conquer all the nations that inhabited it. They were pagan nations with pagan rituals, and the Lord ordered Israel to destroy those nations eliminate everything that has breath were his instructions the surrounding nations would always be a problem for Israel even the ones in the promised land that they couldn't quite conquer because they couldn't quite follow instructions so they're always going to need to stand out there's always going to be that need for Israel to be different so much different than the pagans around them they're given this they're given the law We are, we call it the Mosaic Law or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the scriptures. And it has three parts, or often divided into three parts. The moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. This caused Israel to be set apart from the other nations. The ceremonial laws, which we're probably all familiar with. Things like, uh, Unclean and clean, these laws of cleanliness and and worship that set them apart from all of their neighbors. The civil laws, which kind of governed the day-to-day work and the interactions so that they would have some structure to their society. And then the moral laws, which gave them a conscience and a sense of conviction, something that the surrounding nations completely lacked. Ultimately, these laws did what? They pointed forward to Jesus. So when he came, what did he do with these laws? He fulfilled them. Not erasing them, but fulfilled them. In our text today, Peter, a Jewish man, is going to come face to face with this very idea. Not only is he staying in a Gentile area with a Gentile man... But he's about to meet a devout Gentile who knows God, but who needs to hear about Jesus. This is going to teach Peter that God shows no partiality. That the things that once made Israel who they were are not complete until Christ. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone, not just Israel. So as we consider the text, I want to look at three main ideas. The vision that Cornelius has, the vision of Cornelius, the vision of Peter, and then the impartiality of God. And so with that, please stand together as we read from God's Word, Acts chapter 10, in its entirety. Starting at verse 1. And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent him to Joppa. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up, to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending and, and being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out, to ask wherever Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered. And he said to him, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Now, therefore, we all are here in in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and who does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from J- Galilee, after the baptism of, that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the holy with the Holy Spirit with, and with power, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we were all witnesses of what he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge and the living of, and of the living and the dead to him all the prophets bear witness That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in the tongues, in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. Quite a bit here, but it is necessary, I think, to cover this all at once to kind of get the main thrust of the text. And so, in order to introduce further, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 11, there's the story of the Tower of Babel. You'll remember, God scatters all the nations of the world, causes them to speak in all these different languages so that they can't understand one another because of their pride. And in Genesis chapter 12, God picks one of those nations. And look with me at verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great." so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham, this one nation that was scattered at Babel, is in him all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. How? Well, turn with me to Genesis 22. Let's keep building on this idea. Another familiar passage, Genesis 22:15 through 18. Here Abram has a son finally after all these years, a second son really, but we won't go into that. This son Isaac is born and then the Lord tells him, go on this mountain and sacrifice your son. Bad news to the one who's supposed to have a whole nation. Look with me at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. Sacrifice your son or offer him to be sacrificed. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your blessing as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. When I read this again. Something stuck out to me that has never stuck out to me. Of course, Abraham, this blessing, who is his ultimate child? The Lord Jesus, right? A Jew. This His offspring, that through Jesus the world will be blessed. But look at that there in 17. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Turn with me to Matthew 16. I know we're turning a lot this morning, but this is setting up the idea, and I think it's important. Matthew 16. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Look with me at 13, starting at verse 13 of Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? Basically, who do people say that I am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church... And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What is this? This promise that was given to Abraham. Jesus is now given to his disciples. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3. He says, now the promises that were made or were made to Abraham... And to his offspring, it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and your offspring, who is Christ. Those are the words of Paul. The nations of the world will be blessed in Christ. How? What did Christ say to his disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so in Acts chapter 10, what do we see Peter doing? That very thing. Peter's going to learn in this passage that those things that make him Jewish are no longer of any consequence as far as his faith is concerned. The one who makes him a child of God is the focus. The promise of the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is the power to save anyone who believes for all time. Abraham believed it, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, David, we could go on of these old men, of these faith, men of faith in the Old Testament, all being Jewish men, but what promise did they hold to? The fact that they were Jews? No, they held on to the promise that salvation would one day be extended to all who believe and to the one who would make that possible. That brings us to the first point, the vision of Cornelius. We quickly meet this man, Cornelius, a centurion. He's a commander of a Roman army. The army that he was a commander of was called the Italian cohort. Sounds like a rough group of individuals, but whatever. It was of some Roman army. We're told that he was a devout follower of God. Later in the text, he's called a God-fearer which is actually a term given to people who had likely converted to Judaism but weren't circumcised. And so this uh, Cornelius was probably followed a lot of the Jewish traditions, probably the feast and attended them in Jerusalem and whatnot, but was not circumcised. He did not follow through and become totally Jewish in that regard. And so here at about 3 p.m. he sees a vision of an angel. He tells him, "Gather up some men and go find this man named Peter." He tells him where he stand. He stand with Simon, the tanner. He sends two of his servants and another devout soldier. We're told to go find Peter. I think one thing that's very important for us here was Simon's vision and just the fact that, or not with Cornelius's vision, and the fact that we're dealing with this man here in this passage. There are many in society today who fear God in the sense that they at least admit that there is some sort of higher power and that they're not it, and that that higher power has some control over their destiny. Now, we understand that there's a lot of caveats there. Largely in our society in particular, this God is usually less powerful than the one in the Scriptures, usually has His hands tied When it comes to the human will, but is otherwise powerful. These folks may be, or may want nothing to do with organized religion, like a church or something like that, but they at least admit that there's a world beyond this own, or their own. There's a spiritual component to the world, and that there's some sort of thing in control. They recognize that there's a God, they just don't know who he is. Statistics won't bear this out if you look at the statistics it says, it says that like 75% of, the, of this country is evangelical Christian well we know better than that but scripture does bear this out these are folks that pay lip service to God but don't bow the knee to Jesus Christ how should we handle this when we come across these like Cornelius he was probably much more devout than most people that we know this should shape the way that we do ministry many times we want to think a lot of times for some reason as Christians we want to go to the hardline atheist as our target You know, well the atheist is the guy that I'm sharing the gospel with but there really are very few of those if you know one they probably let you know in no uncertain terms That that's what they are. Our target, really, as far as the unbelievers are concerned, are the Corneliuses of the world. Those who know of a God, recognize his authority, at least in some limited realm, and yet do not know the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That isn't to say that we shouldn't do ministry among atheists and agnostics. Definitely we should. But many times, unless you're equipped, those folks are studied in much anti-Christian rhetoric. If you aren't able to cut through the garbage, you might find yourself frustrated. And so think of those in your life that Cornelius might represent. When's the last time that they heard the gospel? When's the last time anyone invited them to church? A lot of times that's what that person needs, just a push in that direction. We see that here with Cornelius, of course, getting a push. From the angel of the Lord is a completely different thing. That brings us to the second point, a vision of Peter. So now we go to Peter. Peter's on the house on top of this man named Simon, a tanner. He was by the sea. And it was, it was pretty common for people to be on top of houses in those days, not so much anymore. But it was an escape from the heat that was probably inside the house. This is pre-air conditioner, pre-electricity even. Uh, and so there was hot in the outside. And so Peter was up on the roof. He was praying, meditating. He was waiting for some food. And the Lord showed him a vision. And in his vision, there was this sheet coming down from heaven. And on it were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds and other animals. And there was something about these animals that was different. Many of them were unclean. The animals on the sheet were among those that the Lord himself had deemed unclean. You shall not eat these things, and if you do, you will become unclean. Well, that's changed in Christ. And Peter, being a Jewish man, knew, recognized immediately these things to be unclean. And he says... In there in verse thirteen or fourteen, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter hasn't quite learned that you shouldn't correct the Lord of creation. He's done that several times now in his life, and he, he ends up being the corrected one. So why would Peter ha- or why would Jesus, who is probably the speaker here, have Peter eat unclean things? Well, turn with me to Mark chapter seven. Mark chapter 7 starting at verse 14 I'll read this little section and then we'll go into it and he called the people to him again and said to them hear me all of you and understand this is Jesus speaking There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person... From the outside cannot defile him, since it enters, not, it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So what's Jesus saying? What goes in can't actually defile you as far as what you eat is what he's saying. The uncleanliness laws of the Old Testament were there At the beginning, to paint a picture of the fact that you, as a Jew, can never really what? Be clean. You're always struggling against this idea of clean, unclean. If you read through those cleanliness laws, you're going to immediately think, I can't even touch anything. I can't do anything, look at anything, without becoming unclean. In order... To be clean, what is Jesus saying? What needs to be washed? Not your hands, but your heart. The path to defilement isn't through the stomach or through the hands, but through the heart. And from the heart comes every kind of evil. Reminds me of other words that Jesus said. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how can Jesus just call an end to all of those food laws, which is what he did? Well, he is the creator. He is the god man for one. He has that kind of authority. He can do as he pleases. But second, it's the coming of the new covenant. Which is in his coming brought on this new covenant. Which was all about the cleansing no longer being a physical thing. And we have talked about this a lot here. Things like the Passover that we looked at in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. Circumcision. The ceremonial law. All of these symbols of washing and cleansing. All of these things are going away. Because who is fulfilling them? Jesus Christ. Let's just give some examples. How is the Passover going away? Remember the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. It's painted on the doorstep so that the angel of God would pass over. Whose blood does that point to? The blood of Jesus Christ, who when the Father sees it, He passes over those who have been washed with that blood. Circumcision. An act of cleanliness which represents the cutting off of sins from one generation to the next. Jesus, once and for all, sheds blood for his people that they might be cleansed. The food laws, again, the washing that the spirit brings that comes from within will cleanse the heart. Something like eating pork or not eating pork would never make you clean. The Spirit is who makes you clean. Notice the vision that has come to Peter. How many times did it have to come to Peter before he finally gets it? And then even after that, what do we read about Peter? He's perplexed. He's not quite getting it. The reality is, this isn't about food. It's about the heart. And the heart that God wants is a clean heart. No exceptions. And that clean heart comes through one way and one way only. That is through belief in Jesus Christ. That can only come through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which has been prophesied from the Old Testament, has been spoken again and again in the New. And the Holy Spirit comes through belief in Jesus Christ. And so what's the question for us then when we get to this passage? Do we have anything in our own lives like eating clean animals that we hold to as righteousness? Sure, in those days you would be considered devout for washing your hands before you ate, which is really what Jesus was addressing there in Mark 7. The Pharisees were upset because the disciples hadn't washed their hands the right way. And Jesus set them straight. But what do we have? Maybe we have a lot. Or maybe you give a lot. And you think, well, I give a lot of money, so I'm a pretty good person. Or I teach a lot of good things, and I talk about Jesus a lot, so that makes me good. Or my kids are pretty behaved, and so I must be doing something right. Or I give to the poor, or I do really good works, or whatever it is that we want to call our little hand-washing ceremony that's making us clean. It becomes really easy for us to take that little thing and separate ourselves from the rest of the world. Well, I give so much more than the rest of my church, or mm, I really wish everyone was talking about Jesus the way that I am. Just like a neon shirt, we want to wear our self-righteousness as if we're at some amusement park saying, look at me. And groups do this. Unfortunately, particularly reform folks do this. We love the fact that we hold on to our doctrines of the Reformers. And this becomes our righteousness. It separates us from the world. separates us from other Christians. The reality... Unfortunately, there's a reality here. The thing that separates us from the world is not our doctrine, is not our goodness. It is Christ. The thing that we hold on to so that we can be different is not any righteousness of our own, but is the righteousness of Christ. If we were separated by our own righteousness, then it would be like comparing one dumpster to another. At the end of the day, they're both filled with trash. It doesn't matter what kind of trash it is. We are separated from the world through Jesus Christ and him alone. As we go about our ministries, we must be careful that our own righteousness doesn't become our standard. It could have been that way for Peter. And if you continue to read his life and ministry, you'll see later in his life and ministry when you think that Peter has somehow should have matured. He is going to fall into this trap again. Yes, the apostle of the Lord later in his life has a relapse in which he thinks that it's his circumcision that sets him apart as a believer. So if you don't think you're capable of a relapse in this area, then you are somehow placing your faith above Peter's and good luck substantiating that one. We are all capable of seeing ourselves on the same level with jesus which is really all that is anytime we think our righteousness can save us we must all then check our hearts particularly when we go about the work of ministry if christ is what separates us from the world then brothers and sisters what do we have to offer the world only jesus that's it that's the place where we need to be brothers and sisters And that brings us to the next point, the impartiality of God. Peter goes to the home of Cornelius. He puts all these visions and all these thoughts together finally. Look with me at verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And when he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered, And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you why you sent me. This Cornelius falling at the feet of Peter brings to mind the time that Peter fell at the feet of another man, Jesus. Peter said, I am a sinful man, away from me. This time Cornelius is falling before Peter, and Peter gives the same testimony. I'm just a man. Interesting that Luke wrote that too in Luke 5. That's a whole other thing. I just found that fascinating. The important thing here, Peter realizes the reason for the vision. It wasn't just to show that Peter, Peter, that all foods were permissible. Now, you can eat reptiles, for instance. wasn't that. But to show him that cleanliness isn't what goes in, about what goes in, but it is about the heart. It's not about ethnicity, but it's about the heart. It is not about the man, but it's about the Savior. So what does Peter do then? What would naturally flow from this? He isn't, he realizes it's not just for the Jews. He's an in-group of Gentiles. What does he do? He preaches Christ. It's what Peter does best. The blessings promised to the world through Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Peter proclaims this as he has so many times. And he begins his sermon with the words, God shows no partiality to make sure that they hear it as well as make sure that he believes it even. Verse 42 and 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes receives forgiveness through his name. There is no other name under heaven. By which man can be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. And then look what happens upon preaching that name. With belief in the gospel. The blessings of the new covenant come. The Holy Spirit washes through the group. It's incredible. And then with this belief. Peter then baptizes everyone there. As new believers. Do we get this? Was this about the Jewish faith? No. These folks were Gentiles. Was this about Cornelius' devotion and his good works? No. The whole group believed and was baptized. Not just Cornelius. So where is the power? Christ. Why? Because He saves who He will. He has the power to save anyone and everyone who believes There is no partiality in God because there is nothing in us that he can look at and say, I like that better than that. There's nothing in us that he would ever say, that is better, therefore I choose that. The thing that we have is him. Comparing one pile of bad works to another pile of bad works is nothing. We have him. Because when he sees Those whom he chose from the foundation of the world what does he see he sees the one Jesus Christ who died to save them this is about Jesus and for Peter and for us we have to come to the realization that anything we add to the equation does not change the outcome so in conclusion what is it that causes us to stand out What do we want in us to stand out? If we hold on to anything but Christ, we are grasping at nothing. Our only hope is in Christ. To hope in anything else is like wearing a neon shirt and hoping that that's enough. We know better. This should affect the way that we live. We don't have to be good enough because He was. But we're also free to do good because he called us to be different, absolutely. It also affects the way that we do ministry to the lost. We have Jesus, they don't. He is what we have to offer. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be people who not only offer Christ and Christ alone, but also who see Christ as our only hope. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus. It's difficult. Like Peter, we hear the gospel, and sometimes we are perplexed. We wonder, well, we think we're good. or We think we've got something to add. Lord, please relieve us of that. More and more, teach us that we need you and you alone, just like you did with our brother, your child, Peter. Please do that in us more and more that we might cling to you rather than anything else. And then so also proclaim your name and only your name to the lost world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.